This is the Leeds Business Podcast, and I'm your host, Phil Fraser. I'm a business sounding board. Think somewhere between a business coach and a business mentor. If you're a business owner feeling the pain and confusion of being lonely at the top, drop me an email. I can help remove the stress and lack of clarity that you're feeling that comes with running your own business. This is part two of our interview with Carrie Rose, founder and CEO of Search First Digital Agency, Rise at Seven. If you didn't hear last week's part one, I suggest you give that a listen first. In this week's episode, hear Carrie Rose discuss the exit of her co-founder, how she restructured the business to reflect the aim of generating demand and then capturing that demand, bringing in a management and support team, establishing an American office, hear a basic how-to to to improve your company's SEO, and listen to Carrie's key learnings from her business journey. To make sure you never miss out on every episode of the Leeds Business Podcast, sign up to our priority list at www.leedsbusinesspodcast.com. Everyone that signs up gets a free gift to help their business. So, let's get into part two of the interview. Welcome back to part two of our interview with Carrie Rose, um, founder and CEO of Search First Creative Agency, Rise at Seven. Hi, Carrie. Hello. That's going to sound really weird to anybody who hasn't heard the first episode. Because <laughs> <laughs> we've, just, we've just had a break, but this is next week. So if you haven't heard last week's episode, give that a listen first. However, Carrie's talked us through the sort of startup phase of the business. We're now going to go into the growth and scale side. So, so take us forward. <laughs> so I guess there was a pivotal moment in probably, when would it have been? April last year, where essentially the business was doing really well. But unfortunately, my business partner decided it was the end of the road for him. And I remember being absolutely petrified when he first sat me down and said that he he was looking to leave. I had no idea what that meant. Um, but what happened was we had to go for a management buyout. Um, and that took about six to seven months um, where essentially I bought the shares from him. I also at that time bought out my initial investor um, and essentially gained 100% control of the business. And I think that was a pivotal moment because not only was I you know, trying to decide how to go about this management buyout, but I was also trying to put things in motion to make sure that there was a strategy moving forward. Because I think often, you know, it was 100% on my, on my shoulders now. That's the thing that people don't realize it was 100% now on me. So I needed a plan also to make sure, because I do think over the last kind of three years before that, I kind of went with the market demand. There was momentum behind us. There was a lot of, you know, clients wanting to work with us, et cetera. But at this stage, I wanted to make sure there was a strategic plan and, you know, I had things in motion. So I went through the management buyout in November last year, said goodbye to my co-founder. He was amazing throughout that process and essentially started January, um, not this January, but last January. So I've had a full year of running the business on my own um, as a fresh new start. Okay. Okay. Let's, let's, there's, there's, a, there's a load of stuff in there. Let's just, let's just unpack some of that. So you've been on a, you know, an amazing journey for, well, what, 10, 12 years with, with, with Stephen. How, talk, talk us through, 
Not from a business point of view, just talk us through the, the emotional side of that. Yeah, I think essentially we both had very different opinions of what was next, I guess, for the business. I think Stephen had ambitions to be the best in Sheffield, to be the best in the UK. But I knew from a global you know, scale point of view, we had an opportunity to scale this across seas and um, looking at America and more. I also wanted to scale different skill sets and, and services. So I no longer just wanted to operate in the SEO space. To be fair, that was always something that Stephen wanted as well. So I might interchange between Stephen and Kemri. So his name is Stephen Kemri, but I nickname him Kemri. Um, so he wanted quite similar things, but I do think that Kemri essentially came to the end of the road for, for him in that way. And I think from a personal perspective, it was really difficult to say goodbye because, you know, it impacted my confidence. I was like, can I do this on my own? I was like petrified of that. I didn't know how I was going to financially cover the MBO. That was a big fearful thing. Um, but then also I wanted to make sure that I was I protected Kemri as well as a friend and as a partner that I've known and worked with for those years. Um, I do think there was a massive element of mental health. We've built such a big business and a fast growing business during a pandemic. Like I'd be lying if I didn't say that both me and him were completely burnt out. And I think there was an element, I remember at the time feeling as if like I held up the world all the time in every aspect of my life, in my personal life, my family, as well as the business. And I, I kind of had this front all the time, like everything's okay and I'll hold everybody up kind of thing. Um, but I remember at the time feeling like I need to be strong for this guy. This guy really kind of needs to leave and go and, you know, do his own thing now. Um, so yeah, I think the personal side of things was really difficult um, because I didn't want to lose a friend. Um, during that process. So I did everything I could to make sure of that. Um, but yeah, MBOs aren't nice because what happens is you have lawyers and you have, um, you know, accountants and all these different people in your ear, you know, advising you the best thing for you in the business. Um, yeah. And that's a really difficult stage to go through. Just, just talk us through the, the MBO process. Cause there'll be lots of people who are listening, who've heard of them or are thinking of one and, uh, you know, unless you've been through one, it's hard to imagine what it's like. So just talk us, talk us through it from your point of view. Yeah, sure. So through a management buyout, essentially they own shares and you have to get the business valued. So you get the business valued at the current date and essentially then it tells you how much each of those shares is worth. And ultimately that's the market rate that they will be able to sell it at. So they would either sell it to you so I would be able to go buy those shares and become 100%, you know, share owner, or they go to the market and the market will try buy them. The last thing you want is for them to go to the market. And that's because it's unknown of who's going to buy them. You don't have full control of it. You want to hopefully work with somebody that you know and trust and all that sort of thing. Um, so there's two ways of doing it. I guess, obviously, I was really keen to make sure that they didn't go to somebody else. And I wanted them to come, you know, stay in the business with myself that I was, you know, running it on my own. Um, and the only way to do that is either um, use cash in the bank if you have it or raise debt. Um, at the beginning, I looked into raising debt. But I was so fearful, Phil, because we was going through the pandemic. And I remember Googling, like, um, you know, pandemic crisis and economy crisis and things like that, like what not to do. And you'll always see every article, the number one thing says, don't raise debt. 
And I was there raising, looking to raise debt during a management buyout during the worst time you should raise debt because interest rates were you know, sky high and so much uncertainty. I had no idea whether my business could die tomorrow, you know, another pandemic here, another couple of years being closed down, whatever. I had no idea what was coming. So I guess raising those funds at the time was really scary. I spoke to a couple of banks and got approved. But essentially what I ended up doing is looking at the cash in the bank and finding a way to do it there. So I worked with a, a lawyer and they negotiated the deal, they negotiated the price, cost, et cetera. And I ended up actually using cash in the bank. I'm quite lucky that, you know, during a pandemic, we ended up being quite cash um, positive. So we, we put a lot of money into the bank um, to basically protect the business. We didn't really spend anything. Like I was still on quite a basic salary. Both of us was. We didn't take any money out of the company. We reinvested it every single time. So the business was in a really healthy space. So essentially we used the cash in the business to buy those shares back out. So there is multiple ways of doing them at MBO, um, but that's the way that I went around it. Right. Okay. So now, you know, you, you mentioned it, you know, it's now your business, 100% you. You make all the big calls. How do you how do you build a support network around you to, to be able to do that? And what did you do to do that? It's very difficult. I was so scared. I remember at the time, because you do, your confidence gets knocked, like, can I do this on my own? Um, you know, that whole comment I mentioned on the previous podcast of hire people that can do the things you can't. You know, I was, you know, in this really big responsibility position where I was like, okay, well, let's go back to that. Let's write down the things I don't want to do and can't do and go find people that can. So I actually ended up getting an MD straight like, pretty fast. I think overnight, I basically went and got my MD in place. And this was a guy that worked in big advertising agencies. They knew how to scale operations, etc. I then, you know, put my finance people in place. I promoted some people into senior like heads of position or director positions and basically got my A players into place. Um, I think the really difficult part then is I did bring some people in externally. And I think, you know, there's when you bring people, especially senior people externally, there's a lot of fear around, are they, you know, you're spending a lot of money on these people. Are they going to be the right fit? And, you know, it's all on my shoulders now. I've got to make this right decision. And, all you know, I did make some bad decisions, Phil. <laughs> I made some wrong ones. Um, but I do think the thing that I really focused on is, you know, as long as Carrie Rose is in the position that she's good at, then I'll be absolutely fine. Because I'm really good at lead gen. I'm really good at sales. I'm really good at owning the product and doing the marketing. And they're the things that most people can't do. Most businesses really struggle with sales and lead gen. They really struggle with marketing and they really struggle with their product, like how to actually make it better. So I was like, as long as I'm spent there, then Rise Server will be fine. The back end, I can go get people. So, um, so yeah, so I, I spent about, no joke, Phil, two weeks getting that in place, ready to go. Like I did not like waste right. time. <laughs> I, was like, I'm, I need these people in place. And um, so that I could start January, my own, you know, that year of running it on my own um, in a good, in a good position. So how did the product develop sort of post Ken Wright as well? I assume that changed as well, because you now, it's now reflecting your, your vision. Yeah, for sure. So I would have, I already had like this imagination of where we could be in terms of our product. So um, essentially what I did is I restructured the team 
to generate there's two ways that we do marketing and it's generating demand and capturing that demand essentially and i structured the business in exactly that way um, and i structured my product in that way one thing you'll rarely see in agencies is the agency is structured around the product and i do it exactly that um so usually people have um you know, I, I structure it around the user journey in a way. So, I, you know, you have your awareness teams, your promotions teams, um, conversion teams, and essentially that's how I've structured it. So I changed the product and the, um, the you know, org chart in that way to be positioned in that way. And I've never done that before, but I tried it and it's one of the best things I've done. I actually have a chief commercial officer now um, and he's running the growth side of the business. And he said, I've never seen an agency situation like this, but it's one of the best I've seen. Um, so yeah, so I guess I looked at that and then I looked at the wide products of, well, if I'm looking at generating demand and capturing demand, what products sit within those bubbles? And I basically launched social media. So social media was never really a big part of Rise at Seven, but it now is, and it's doing just under a million revenue and in, in 12 months. Um, I also launched a content creation team and this content creation team execute on social, but also on websites and things like that. Um, so yeah, I ended up becoming a little bit more integrated in terms of our services. Um, but one of the key things I did do is I started to diversify my product. And what I mean by that is we, our revenue is very heavy, heavily weighted towards PR. And I think that's purely just because that's what made us famous. We was winning awards from it. A lot of clients were buying it because of it, but I needed to diversify. So essentially what I started to do is look at client services teams that could upsell other products um, attached to digital PR um, to basically, you know, get people and customers buying more from us. Um, and that worked. So in the last 12 months, we have about 70% of our clients buy multi-service from us now. That's one of my biggest success. You know, I'm really proud of that one. In 12 months, we've really achieved something good. So yeah, I think diversifying and basically making the business less risky just on PR was one of the big things that I focused on. Okay. Just to, just while you were just discussing that, um, thought crossed my mind. Some of our listeners maybe don't sort of fully understand what you do. You know, we use a lot. Of, we've used a lot of terms <laughs> like search first and PR and promotion yeah. and lead gen. Just for our simpler listeners, and that includes me <laughs> as well. Just talk us through. Just talk us through. In effect, what you do because I sort of we sort of like skirted around it without making it really clear. Yeah, it's true. So. When you are looking for something, whether that's to book a holiday, to buy a new pair of trainers, or you're looking for that new lawnmower in your garden, the first place you go to is Google. And essentially my job or my marketing agency makes sure that my clients is at the top of that result when you're searching. So one of my clients is B&Q. They're hopefully gonna get your sale when you're buying that lawnmower. Or my client is Travel Republic. Hopefully you're gonna book with them with your holidays. My job is to get them at the top of that Google search. But also, I think that SEO and Google industry lost sight of demand. How do we even get people to you know, want that holiday in the first place? So essentially I have a demand team and what their job is to do is actually get you to want that holiday in the first place or to you know, think about buying that new lawnmower. So essentially that's what I do is I generate demand for products and I capture it through being at the top of Google. Right, so you're almost, you're almost doing, you're almost doing the, the pre-work before the, before the work almost. That's exactly it. I see that, that, you know, I think a lot of us lose sight of how do we even get people to want to go to the Maldives in the first place. If we're trying to sell Maldives holiday, why don't we just generate demand for people to want to go to the Maldives? 
Um, so yeah, we essentially generate search demand. So search is always the thing because people do get, when they want something, they go to Google. Um, or now they're searching on places like TikTok or Pinterest. So we do all channels. And um, so we generate demand and then we capture it on the other side. Right. Okay. Okay. Good stuff. Good stuff. So America, talk to us about expanding into America because that's, bear in mind, you know, people who are listening, we're still four years into the journey. Yeah. Started in Sheffield and now we're, we're, now we're heading to America. How does that happen? Oh God. I honestly don't even know. Okay. How did it start? How did it start? So we started working with or, you know, winning some American brands. These were quite small brands. But what we quite realized is that our product and our skill set didn't necessarily exist as well in the US as it does in the UK. So a lot of these US brands were coming to UK agencies to buy these products, you know, the services from what we sell. So we thought, you know, there's a massive market out there. You're talking at least 10 to 20 times big in, in terms of the market demand. The budgets are three times bigger and the skill set is a lot lower. So, you know, there's a huge opportunity for Rise of 7 to be there. Obviously, being four years old, we still have a lot of momentum as a startup. This, you know, sexy agency that's four years old, that is scaling really fast. And the one thing I would always advise any business owner listening is use that momentum as much as you can, like ride the wave. So I essentially thought, well, there's momentum now. It's not slowing down. Let's use it. Let's go and open um, in America um, and scale it using the momentum that we have from our brand. Because you've got to think we're using social media platforms like LinkedIn and Twitter to build our brand. And these are free global platforms. People in America read my content. Funny enough, I think 70% of my followers now, I saw a report the other day, 70% of my followers are now in the US. So I have a huge audience now in the US. Um, so yeah, so we essentially, what I did is, I, this is the fun part of it. I went on a road trip around America. I went to Florida, Chicago, New York, and LA. And I was deciding where I think culturally we fit in the most. Funny enough, we had a couple of clients that were based in Chicago, so it made natural sense to launch there. So we did this big press release that Rise at Seven is opening an office in Chicago, and that's where they're going to be based. Well, a week later, I visited New York and that changed everything because I just felt as if culturally we was not aligned to Chicago. Like Chicago is a beautiful city. If you've, if you've never been highly recommend, I fell in love with the city. It's amazing. But I felt Chicago was very corporate, very finance um, and tech driven. Whereas a lot of our clients that we work with are e-commerce, retail um, and very culturally different. And when I was in New York, funny enough, I had a pitch and I was on the way to a cafe on the subway to go and do that pitch. And I looked up and on the little mini billboards on the subway was the brand that I was going to go pitch for. And I thought, this is a sign I should be here. So we actually changed the whole location. We uh, registered in New York, we opened an office and we said, Rise of Seven has changed their mind. They're going to New York instead. And I do think um, it was one of the best decisions we made. I do think there was an element of me. I knew it was going to be expensive and competitive. A lot of people have said this, very difficult to make it in New York. But I think culture, again, going back to that, is the thing that I knew that's where we should be because, you know, that's where our clients are based in terms of the brands that we was pitching for on our, you know, I was in Times Square and I saw our clients there being advertised. This is where we should be. Um, so yeah, so we uh, scaled New York about a year and a half ago. Yeah, about a year and three months ago, something like that. Um, and we've had a really successful year one. 
Okay, fantastic. And 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 is is your head of New York a, a local, or did you send somebody over? Send somebody over. So I do think it's really important that we replicate Rise's way of doing things and the culture. So essentially, one of the so you know how in the previous ep episode, if you haven't listened to it, go listen to it. I essentially took a fake member of staff to a misguided pitch when I first launched the business. And I said, if we win this account, I'll go and hire them. Well, that fake member of staff I ended up hiring. And to this day, he's my VP of PR in New York. So he ended up opening my London office. And then he now is my VP director, essentially, over in New York. So he was my yeah, number one hire, my fake member of staff that I actually ended up scaling the business with. Fantastic. That's fantastic. Okay, we'll, 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 I've got a couple of questions that, that listeners are probably thinking about asking for how they can improve their SEO and, and, and search. But before we do, I need to talk to our listeners about the Leeds Business Podcast Fair Deal. The Leeds Business Podcast Fair Deal has two sides to it. My side of it is every week for free, I bring you fantastic, amazing, inspirational business leaders like Carrie, totally for free. Your side, Mr. Listener and Mrs. Listener or viewer, is you have two parts of, of your side of the deal. Part one is I want you to recommend this podcast to one other person you feel would get benefit from it. And part two, I want you to post a review on the Apple Podcast app at Spotify, give us a thumbs up, or post a review at podchaser.com. Or if you're watching on YouTube, give us a wave to everybody on YouTube, Carrie. There you go. Carrie's waving. If you're listening, Carrie's waving. Uh, give this episode a thumbs up and a review. So that's the Leeds Business Podcast Fair Deal. Fair deal, Carrie? Fair deal. It's a fair deal. It's a fair deal. Okay. I just mentioned there, um, you know, there'll be people listening who have got, you know, their own businesses, they've got a marketing budget, uh, but they really struggle with their SEO and appearing at the, at the top of Google search. Just could you give some of them some some basic tips as to how they can improve their performance? Maybe this could be your how-to for this week. Oh, okay. Very basic SEO advice um, for Wednesday afternoon. Um, I guess the best way to get to the top of Google, or at least to build, you know, higher rankings on Google, is to scale authority content and build trust in your site. It sounds ridiculous, but Google actually looks at signals of trusted expertise. So just by saying you are HSBC and you're a bank doesn't mean that you're an expert at banking. You have to show signals of that through expert driven content, um, opinion pieces, data reports, things like that. And really good, you know, useful content that users could engage with and share and, you know, take home and kind of like learn from but also external signals of trust. And what I mean by that is if you can get the media to be linking to your website, to be talking about you as a brand, then that is a signal to Google that clearly you're an expert at what you're talking about. So I think in every single niche, whether that's, you know, you're a bakery, whether you're a fitness, um, you know, business, you know, you know, you, you have expertise in that space write content, produce content at scale, look at what keywords people are searching for, make sure you create really good useful guide content on your website. And if you can build links to it from mass media. Um, they're the kind of two really basic principles of SEO, but I think a lot of people really just forget that, that trust and expertise is the things that you know Google is looking for. 
Okay, so a lot of a lot of listeners may well say, "Oh, but we we're only a really dull B two B business. Nobody's interested in, in in what we've got to say." How would you answer that? Oh, I have done so many of marketing for so many dull brands. Everything from um, taxi insurance. Um, I even worked on like e cigarettes, like really difficult businesses. You know that you think, "Oh, no one's going to really talk about us." Um, you've got to build a story. You got to be creative around your product. No one cares, by the way, about your product or your brand. No one cares about the thing that you're about to launch. You've got to build a, a story around that. So I think if you can look at, well, what is it that consumers are interested in right now? You know, popular culture, what is the news talking about? What is people talking about on TikTok? And apply your product to that, to that trend, to that, you know, viral media moment or the thing that's going on right now, then that's how you can get talked about as a brand by basically making yourself relevant. Is it is a lot easier than you think. It might sound impossible, but I think if you just take a look at what is it that consumers and your customers are talking about on social media, you'll easily find opportunities for you to then engage with that. Yeah, I think one of the things I was taught in the in the old the old days of PR, way before your time, Carrie, um, was journalists. Jur think about it. Journalists turn up on a Monday morning with a newspaper they have to fill with blank piece of paper. Yeah. So if you can help them by giving them 500 words of an interesting story that they don't really have to do any work for and go, yep, that's really interesting. It's got a nice picture. It's got a nice graphic. Bang. That's one page I don't have to write. And you have to think almost like that, not that they're doing you a favor. You're doing them a favor by helping them. Yeah, provide them with everything, imagery, content, like data. One thing that the press always want is comments from experts. You know, if you are in B2B transport, you're an expert at B2B transport. There's more than likely, you know, something going on in the world right now that you can comment on. Maybe it's the fact that, you know, flights are, you know, delayed because of the winds. I'm pretty sure the transport industry is, is affected by that. Therefore, you have an opportunity to put yourself at the center of that conversation. So that's what I mean by find what's relevant now. Like, you know, the bad winds over the last couple of nights. You know, there's a story, there's, the media are talking about this, there's TikTok videos, there's viral memes on Twitter. There's an opportunity for you as a transport business to then have a comment or some sort of content around that. So, yeah, if you can provide as much rather than expecting them to be doing you a favor, you're doing them one. Right. Great stuff. Great stuff. So what's the plan going forward? I mean, you know, you've had this, you've had this ridiculous, you've had this ridiculous growth over four or five years. Can you continue it? How, yeah, how, what does the future look like? Future is looking really bright. Oh, I'm not just saying this, but we are forecasted to have a really, really good year this year. The US is probably going to be our biggest growth. So US is expected to do 80% growth this year, which is amazing. Um, and we're expecting to be more sustainable in the UK. So we've talked a lot in the first podcast about how fast I grew this business in four years. I actually plan completely to slow that down. So in the UK, in the last 12 months, it's it's slowed down like so much in a good way. We've said goodbye to clients that we don't want to work with. We have upped our minimum retainers, meaning that we only take on certain level of spend. Um, and we're only really going for clients that buy more than one service from us. So we're being very strict about what a good ICP is for us. When we say ICP, an ideal customer profile. So we're really kind of honing down on building sustainability in the UK, but then focusing on growth in the US. Around 80% growth is what we're looking for. And I think overall, 
the dream really is to scale our different types of clientele and brand. So the average spend with us as an agency, from a marketing point of view, we're working with quite big brands. You know, anyone that's doing between fifty to to you know a billion revenue a year, like we're looking at those sort of kind of brands. Um, and we're looking at brands that can spend a million pound on SEO or creative or PR in the next 12 months. So um, we're, we're going for different types of brands now. Um, like for an example, we've, we've just started working with Capital One, which is one of the biggest credit card and bank providers in, in the world, like they're huge in the US, um, which is really different for us. Um, so we're really scaling our clientele and winning a lot more like bigger enterprise brands in that way. Um, so yeah, I think there's a massive opportunity for us with our products and we're, we're innovating a lot. So I think I kind of hinted towards it earlier, but search is no longer just on Google. It's on other platforms. So we are now expanding into social search. So there are literally millions of people searching every single day on places like TikTok and Pinterest. So my job is to, I said, well, not just my job, but my team's job is to get our clients and our brands ranking there now. So we're constantly innovating at the minute. Um, and I think really what we're going to do is, I, I think I'm going to go buy some things. I'm going to go buy some agencies and merge them in Rise of Seven in the next next couple of years. So yeah, that'll be a new a new journey for me that I haven't done yet. It's actually going to merge something in myself. So yeah, try to do it all, I guess. I like you. I like the way you just drop that in at the end. Oh, I'm going to go and buy a few agencies. Yeah, why not? <laughs> I've not done that. I've not done that before, so I'll give that a go. Yeah, I'm all about the learning feel. Like even if it fails, I'm sure I'll take something valuable. Um, now I have quite a good plan over the next three years. Um, I want to get to 10 to 12 million revenue. And I think realistically there's, you know, there's a strategy behind how I do that. And I think I'm gonna go buy um, an agency and merge that in. Um, I'm, I've got my eye out and doing some strategic planning at the minute. And obviously the US, the US is one of our biggest growth. We are doing bits in Europe as well. Um, Europe kind of happened by accident. What The way we're doing Europe, Phil, it's really interesting. A lot of our clients, when they're expanding their business, so one of our brands that we're working with, they expanded to Netherlands and then Spain and then Germany. And they basically said, do you want to expand with us? So we'll expand, you expand your team and we'll figure out the market together. Then that was about two years ago. So we did, we expanded to Netherlands, we expanded to Spain and Germany, and we've got native speakers in those countries um, working with us. Um, so yeah, so we're doing a lot in Europe at the minute as well, but I don't think that'll be a massive growth area for us. I think it will grow, but I think it will be mostly US. I can see the clickbait headline now, you know, rise at seven, buying new agency. <laughs> you know, you've you've been on an you know an incredible journey over the last four or five years. What would you say are the the key learnings you've taken from it? Oh, key learnings! I have so many. Um, I do think the the first big learning that I've had is focusing on right fit clients. I think over the last three years and four years, I've I've kind of realised we had a lot of clients or some clients that probably we worked with that we ended up we ended up spending money to work with them in the end like it was not a profitable account there was not necessarily the right culture fit and often you know the team didn't necessarily enjoy working right because it weren't a brand that they identified with it weren't a brand audience that they identified with and therefore we didn't we couldn't do our best work um, there's actually a very large over 50s supermarket in the UK I'm not going to say the brand name but I think you could try guess that, um, that we declined 
because we knew that it wouldn't be a right fit. We knew we couldn't do our best work. And that, you know, that was worth a half, you know, half a mil pound contract. But we turned that down because we knew Rise of Seven couldn't do our best work. So we're not the right fit for them. I do think one thing that if, if anybody is in the agency space, you have to treat it like a relationship. Not everybody is for you. And I think you've got to find who they who they are. So that was one of my biggest like learnings is finding right fit clients. Um, I also think that strategic initiatives is key for when you get to a scaling stage, understanding not only where you're going to be in the next three months, but where you're going to be in the next 12 months, three years, five years. I always do five years because I think that's a really good way of, you know, imagining what the future could be, but also being flexible enough that, you know, the future could change. Um, but I create my milestones of this is where I want to be in three years. This is what I want to be true um, about the business for each area of the business. Um, and I do that every quarter. And then I also do that every year, every three years, every five years, et cetera. Um, and I think those strategic initiatives is really what I like go back to every month on the first of every month. And I go, what is it I said that I want it to be true and make sure that that's real. Because I think often businesses can get stuck in the day to day, fixing problems, doing the job, et cetera. And I think that was one of my biggest learning curves of making sure you have goals to achieve. Um, and my last learning, I've got so many, I think it's worth looking on my LinkedIn. There's an article about many, many learnings that I've uh, learned over the last four years. But one of the biggest learnings is the people that got you there or got you here, sorry, aren't gonna people going to be the people that get you there. So I do think, you know, I've invested in like a lot of talent. I've hired over 130 people in the last four years and, you know, there is times where I've had to say goodbye to some of my friends even because the business has scaled bigger than them. And actually Phil, the business sometimes scaled bigger than me. It, it grew so fast that actually I needed to go hire people better than me that could run this. So yeah, the people that got you here aren't necessarily people that are going to get you there. And I think that's a really tough pill to swallow, especially for people that are building lifestyle businesses that want to turn it into something that scales. Right. That's, that's, that final one is, is so true. You know, what got you here won't get you there. It's, it is so true. So true. Yeah. Now we ask every business owner who's on the show to give us a shout out to a, another leads business. Now you gave us one last week. Have you got another one for us this week? Oh, let me have a think. Another leads based business. I'm going to give a shout out to another agency okay. called Connective3. Um, and the reason being is um, I, at Branded3, you know, we was one of the best agencies in the country. And when it got bought out, there was, you know, several people went off to go, you know, do their own thing. And a lot of us went to Rise at 7. We started Rise at 7. That's where Rise at 7 was born. And there was another agency that started out called Connective3. And they're doing really well in the performance space. They're scaling quite fast um, and they're just really good guys. And they are people that I've worked with all of my career. And uh, yeah, I think they deserve a shout out because they're a leads based business that are also, I think they've expanded to new cities as well. Like they have an office in Manchester and London, I think. I might be wrong, but I think they do. Um, but yeah, they're, they're good guys that are doing really well as well and they're leads based. Okay, great stuff. There'll be a link to them in the show notes. 
Carrie, it's been absolutely amazing. There's been so much over the last two episodes. I hope all our listeners and viewers got something from it. It was absolutely brilliant. Thank you ever so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode. I hope you found it interesting, inspiring and of use. To make sure you don't miss out on any future episodes, please subscribe to the show. Go on, do it now. Do it now before you go off and do something else. Thank you. Much appreciated. Oh, and don't forget our fair deal. See you next week.